All right, welcome everybody to uh, the Wide Lens Podcast, episode number 16. I'm Robert Baharian and I have my, are you a co-host? I'm a colleague, my colleague I've co-host. I've been uh, promoted, have I? <laughs> co-host, look out. I'm moving up in the world, people. <laughs> well, we've got to become professional at some stage, at some point. Uh, Matt Rigby, uh, uh, we are recording this on Friday, the 13th of May, 2022. Scary. I don't know what. Look out, Marcus. Spooky stuff's going to happen today, today tonight. <laughs> it's been happening all year. I don't think anyone's going to be afraid. We've, uh, we've, seen, we've seen it already. Um, we've got a ton of stuff to cover today, actually. There's been a lot going on. But we'll kick off with Matt's Mark a minute, and uh, let's, get, let's get straight into it, Matt. All righty. So Aussie market, last five days, down just under 6%, down 8.8 for the year to date now. So it's starting to accumulate those losses. Um, look, some interesting earnings, some disappointing earnings coming out. Um, zero came out. They're down about 14 and a quarter for the week uh, to last night's closed. Uh, it's last night's close, sorry. They're still investing in the product, not focusing on growth, uh, on profits. So that was, I think, what the market was disappointed about. Uh, CSR came out. They were down 12%. Link uh, down about 18%. Um, and Dicker Data down about 3%. They all disappointed. On the positive side, CBA down about half a percent. But they look like they've basically locked in three quarters of decent profits. Look like they'll meet, if not exceed, expectation. So that's good. Uh, lifestyle communities, something I think nobody talks about. Uh, that's up about 3% on their trading update. Pendle uh, down slightly, but they had a good trading update. Westpac, strong cost control. They're down a little bit, probably more reflective of the market generally. And Suncorp, uh, down, uh, they're up about two and a half of the week. Uh, again, coming out, coming out with pretty good numbers there. Uh, the NASDAQ last five days down 6.5%, now down 27% year to date. Uh, Refinitiv is now working again, sort of. Uh, 82 stocks down more than 10% for the year to date. So 82% of the NASDAQ 100 down more than 10%. 13 in positive territory. 13 of 13% of stocks are only in positive territory for, the, for year to date. Yes. Yep. Yeah, on the NASDAQ. Apple, Microsoft, Google. Uh... No, I don't know that any of those. I'll have to have a look. I'm not sure. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't take any <laughs> notice. Uh, S&P 500 down just under 5% for the week. Now down 18% year to date. So nearing that 20% psychological, bear market. whatever that is. <laughs> Technically, it's not a bear market, Matthew. No, we're not there yet. Uh, year to date, 109 or 25% are positive. 309 or 61% down more than 10%. It's, to, it's nasty. It's stock pickers market, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> Uh, pick cash um, and earnings. So this is all based on Yahoo's reporting. So a couple of companies that beat during the week, EA Sports up one and a half percent. The Trade Desk, which is a company I really like, I think it's got great prospects. They beat and are still down 17% on expectations of slightly lower growth. Uh, but interestingly for them, they make a lot of money off selling ads uh, with Netflix and Disney all going to ad-supported uh, models. Right. I think that's going to be a real big tailwind for these guys. Roll the dice. Why not? Uh, companies that missed, Disney down six, Roblox, the uh, probably the best metaverse play at the moment, I would say. Anyway, down 7%. Beyond Meat, down 34%. Yeah, a bit nasty. No Zenga, more vegans in the world. <laughs> Zenga, Zenga missed. Uh, Rivian, the... Tesla rival, I don't know if you can call it that, uh, down 21%. Um, not great earnings, but also Ford and Amazon are out of their lockup stage, so they can start selling those shares. And Under Armour. Great time. Yeah. <laughs> Under Armour down about 7%. Uh, emerging markets, as gauged by the VGE, Vanguard Emerging Market Index Fund, uh, down 2.6%, 15% year to date. Uh, so that's actually better than... Both the Nasdaq and S and P. That's interesting. Well, I think like with with emerging markets, you don't have like the the Fang style, the growth heavy stocks. I think like a lot more will be probably more value orientated. So I think relatively speaking, you're probably going to get yeah. um, a slightly better performance than if you compare that to a Nasdaq. I reckon. I've never thought about that. Yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. We'll put that on the future research list. Uh, oil down about two point eight for the week. 
up 41% year to date, now trading at 106 or thereabouts. Bitcoin, it's getting nasty. So are we moving down. on to the next topic? What, what, are we, what are we at? Well, I'm just going through the <laughs> okay. stuff. So Bitcoin's down 19% year to date, down, th- oh, sorry, for the week, 19 for the week, 39, let's call it 40% year to date. Now trading at 28,739. They got as low as 26,284 yesterday and i was watching it yesterday they were down 14 percent at one point yeah. yesterday came back pretty hard and they're off again today so uh we'll touch on cryptos later but it's it's people are starting to feel the pain i think in that space yeah well uh when you when i when i unsubscribe from the daily three daily emails that i get from coinbase <laughs> to tell me that the that bitcoin, your bitcoin is down seven percent in the last four hours yeah i'm like yep. <laughs> okay you can't stomach this. You shouldn't be in it. Don't so need to know it. Unsubscribe. Just let it do what it does. Yeah. Well, someone was saying, uh, you know, made the comment, where are all these crypto experts and pro crypto people that I was hearing about, you know, hearing from six, 12 months ago, they're all disappearing. And that's kind of a good sign that things are starting to capitulate. And once that happens, maybe it's at a buy point. Get rid of but, Deadwood, hey? Uh, 15,000 was my prediction in January. Mate, and pretty uh, closer to yours. Well, we're getting I closer than we were a few weeks ago. Who knows? I, I think it'll go under 20. I, I don't know how far. Do you buy it under 20? Well, you're not really into... I possibly would. Mate, uh, just, I'm, just you know, dabble. Well, um, throw we, five bucks at it, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. We Australia just had their, the first ET, the uh, crypto ETF launch yesterday. Yeah. What a day to be launching oh, a crypto ETF. Like, out. talk about... <laughs> <laughs> talk about creating products at the worst time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they, I, I, they, I, don't know, I, think, I don't know how much they brought in, but they put in quite a bit of money. Yeah, and I don't think it's a straightforward, like an, it's not an index ETF. I mean, it's a whole lot more complicated under the hood. 100%. I think there's it a lot of leverage be. there, and so maybe we need to have a look at that and uh, inform the people. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's tread carefully. All right, well, let, let's, let's add that. Let's have a look at that next week, actually. Yeah, for sure. All right, um, so earnings season. So despite all the doom and gloom that, that I just mentioned, um, it's been a reasonably good reporting season so far. Uh, so we'll bring up this first graph, which is the percentage of companies beating... You're still using the word graph. Oh, why not? Sorry, chart. <laughs> bring up this first chart, and uh, it's, it's the percentage of companies that have already reported who have beaten on earnings per share, uh, on the earnings per share number, uh, and, and on the revenue estimates as well. So the dark blue line is the earnings per share beat. Uh, the lighter blue is the revenue beat. Uh, and you can see that, you know, historically, those numbers are really high. So 74% are beating on Oh, wow, this goes share. back to 2001. 72, 72% on revenue. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's only, you know, there's only been a couple of occasions where those numbers have been eclipsed, which I found really fascinating. And when you go back to historical, there's no average, but just eyeballing it, what, 55%, 60% of companies typically will beat if I'm using that as the average, is there an upward trend here? Above. Meaning, um, over time, analysts are getting it wrong, more wrong and wrong, and companies yeah. are more and more beating. Yeah, maybe because <laughs> there's or, a clear uptrend there, right? I mean, notwithstanding those those significant dips during GFC and, yep. and 2012 and, and so COVID. on, but yeah, there is there is an upward trend, and and is it the the margin? Is it more? more tech companies are reporting or, or listed and reporting and they've got higher margins and therefore that's not factored in. I don't know. Uh, it, it's one of the two, but that's an interesting point. But the absolute numbers are pretty solid. Three, more than three quarters of yeah. companies are beating on yep. earnings and revenue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that, that's really good, but, but often it's the guidance, So, uh, which is the next chart that we'll bring up now. Um, so the percentage of companies rising or raising or cutting their guidance by quarter. Um, so less than ten percent of names are reporting um, of names are reporting are actually increasing their guidance. So you can see there that the dark blue line um, is the uh, raise and the light blue is the cut. So right. it, it's still it's a big drop though. It's if you look a massive at drop, and guidance. I think that's the issue that we're dealing with at the moment. I think people, investors, have gotten used to, you know, a beat and a raise 
you know, beat on earnings and, and raise again. Uh, and that's obviously not happening, but it's still not at historically low levels, uh, which was interesting. But the cuts, uh, are, you know, are pretty pretty healthy level. They, they look pretty sta- stable to me, but you, you cannot – I mean, what else are companies going to do, right? That they can't – we're in this situation whereby – remember we were in 2020 and com- the company was just giving no guidance whatsoever. Yep. And I think that's fair. I mean, what are companies supposed to say to, say to, say to investors and shareholders right now? Yeah, well, I think it was Starbucks – Pull guidance, so they didn't provide yeah. any guidance and got hit. And you know they've they've got a fairly uh, big presence in China and all the lockdowns. So that that's fair enough. And I think, um, you well, know, twenty twenty was one or two out of three of their stores are shut in China. Yeah, like, it's, it's a pretty high. How number. can you provide guidance when you're basically shut down? Yeah, no chance. Uh, and, I, and that's the conclusion they came to. But um, you know, I think also from a management team's perspective, you've got a choice. You can be aggressive or you can be conservative when you're announcing. You know, earnings mm. and talking about the next quarter. Uh, and, you know, we're partway through or halfway through that next quarter already. So they've got a pretty good idea of, of what's coming. Um, there have been a number of companies also talking about uh, their hiring uh, and not um, and basically pulling back on hiring, basically saying, you know, we're, we're not going out there. Hiring is sure. a privilege. Uh, it's beginning too expensive. And so I don't – it's early and there's a couple of big companies. Uber's one that springs to mind. I imagine Amazon probably will be, given they're over, yep. you know, overcapitalized, so to speak. Um, that's something that's a trend to watch. You know, as labor becomes more more expensive, it becomes less attractive and, mm. and less profitable to put new people on. So, but even already, I, I don't know if it was Coinbase, but the likes of Robinhood, for example, Robinhood, that was that, another one. Yeah, I, said, I think yeah. they cut like nine thousand jobs or yeah. something like that. So, I think yep. I think those really high growth um, companies that that just grew spectacularly well during COVID. I think they're the first ones that are cutting. Yep. And I, I don't disagree with that. I think we'll see like this trickle-down effect to, com- uh, uh, well, less volatile, less high-growth companies who've also been hiring like crazy over the past couple yeah. of years. And, and small, you know, yeah, mum and pop stores, they're all out there hiring as well. And they are the biggest employer mm-hmm. segment in the US. Well, if and, rates and are going Australia up well. and they've got a higher, higher costs and with inflation, I, I, I agree. I, I think... You know, they're going to be like companies not providing any guidance. They're the ones going to say, well, we're not hiring and we're just going yep. to turn that tap off for the moment. Absolutely. I'll just work an extra few hours, you know, as, as the owner. Um, and at a sector level, just really quickly, um, pretty interesting that, uh, you know, some of the areas that or some of the sectors that have done quite well. Um, so revenue beat rates were strongest abund- ab- amongst materials, um, strongish amongst industrials. So what's this chart um, showing? What's the blue and red mean so the blue is kind of the stronger end of the scale oh, gotcha. red okay. or orange is the weaker end of the mm-hmm. scale um so you've got earnings per share in that first block uh revenue and guidance and guidance is probably really the one to look at that's what's driving everything uh and probably not surprisingly um technology is one of the lower it's actually the lowest on guidance um so is They're that saying really 30% providing. of of tech companies have provided no guidance? Yeah, basically. Mm. So, you know, that's that's creating that uncertainty. Um, you know, a, a good chunk in line, uh, some cutting, but you know, I think there's probably more and more of a trend towards just not providing guidance. So, um, plenty of businesses are doing really well. Revenue and profits are growing strongly, but I think that uncertainty is really starting to come through. Um, let's talk about the bloodbath in stocks, uh, and we'll talk, we've got we've got to cover a lot a lot of this later on. But the first chart that I want to bring up is from Deutsche Bank from Jim Reed, and and what it's showing is the number of consecutive and, and this chart's up now, the number of consecutive weekly declines for the S and P five hundred of more than five weeks, and and Jim goes on and says we've just ended the longest run without one. You can see from that chart, it's not that obvious, but we haven't had a period of negative uh, weekly returns for five weeks since 2011. Yeah. And so we've gone 10 plus years without a, uh, without a uh, negative streak as we've seen now. Yep. In fact, some of the numbers, uh, so June 2011 actually was the, was the date. Um, now ends the longest so they go on to say as the graph shows this now ends the longest run without such an event since weekly data begins in 1928 in the 83 years between 1928 and 2001 we had 61 runs 
of five or more weekly declines in a row. So one every year and a third on average, even if a number of them were concentrated together. So what, what I, I think the conclusion here is what we've seen over the course of the last 10 years is not the norm. Mm-hmm. And that what we are seeing now is probably more akin to what markets should be doing. You and I have talked about this where I think it was last few weeks ago uh, we were chatting about the 2001 max drawdown in, in the S&P 500. It was like 5%. Yeah, and people right. were, yep. were just were totally oblivious to that fact. And the point we were trying to make was that that is not normal. Yeah. That, in fact, what we're going through now with an average – in fact, S&P 500, the average drawdown is 15% or 14 point something percent. Yeah. So we're at 18 now, I think it was. At, at an index level. Yeah. Um, and, and so what we're seeing now is a lot more normal. I, I think this, this was really interesting um, – I, it looks like these things cluster together as well <laughs> quite a bit. So the <laughs> fact out. that we haven't had one for a little while and we've got one now, maybe we're just going to start to see um, a lot more volatility going forward. Yeah. Well, this week's going to be negative, so that, that'll get us to six. Uh, what, what's interesting here is there's only three instances where it's gone above six weeks. Uh, you know, uh, what's that? Nine, oh, yeah. Late 60s. 2000. Uh, Late early eighties, maybe in two thousand. So, um, just one positive week would be nice at the moment. <laughs> just, just come on. Let's have a look. Let's let's keep going with this theme because uh, it's it's quite it's going to be common in all the, all the topics that we talk about today. Um, let's talk about uh, inflation. Let's talk about rates. So the US uh, will bring this chart up from Statista, which is showing um, the. The Fed um, cash rate, uh, it's that blue line. You can see the 2008 recession. We can see the 2020 recession as well. And rates drop basically to, to zero. And you see the rate hike now up at, up at is it 0.05 to 1%? Is that what uh, 75 to 1. 75 to 1? Yeah. 75 to 1. And we've also got in the dotted line the forecast of the number of rate hikes going forward. And I think we're – this is a little bit older, but I think the number's sitting something like 2.9 yeah, – 3%, 3%, 3% yeah. for the US 10-year rates. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, um, the Australian um, forecast or, or forecast rate is sitting also at 3%. Yeah, and look, I think we mentioned – I think I mentioned this last week that 3% by the end of this year – is, is, sort is, of that, is, that, is that in Australia or US or both? No, I think it's both. It might be slightly higher in the US, but, but I think it's 3% here in Australia. Um, Can you imagine rates no. being higher in Australia than they are in the US? No, I can't. Uh, and I think we've said before that uh, you know, we think rates will peak out higher in the US than what they will here. And it's interesting, we were at a uh, briefing yesterday with, a, with um, Richard Quinn from Bentham, and he was saying, uh, what do you say that he thinks rates will peak Higher in the US, the recession here in Australia will be worse. Worse, um, uh, and I don't disagree with him. And no, so maybe just I explain what, why he was. So, so one of his key tenets there was that interest rates here in Australia, and we've talked about this a lot of time, that mortgage holders here in Australia tend to have variable rates, whereas in the US they tend to be fixed, and they tend to be fixed for a very long period of time. Uh, and, and there's no break clause, and so the only reason you would get out of your fixed mortgage over there is if you sold the house. Mm-hmm. And moved somewhere else. So, so you um, can't refinance on a, on a low rate just because you want to. Oh, you can. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, sorry, the only reason you would do it now, going forward, if you've already locked in your fixed rate, is what I meant to say. Uh, so, if rates fall, you can refinance without any break fees, no cost, slight cost, but yeah, you know, it's a couple hundred bucks, and you can lock in a much lower rate, and again, do it for thirty years. Uh, whereas, obviously, here in Australia, you can't. There's quite an expense to that. Well, there's break costs. And our mortgages aren't fixed for that long. No, they're only, you know, well, you can get seven years, I think, but most people would do a two or a three, I'm guessing. Um, So that was one of the key, you know, I guess theories behind his thoughts there. And also that we've got, uh, on average, I think a higher income to debt, a debt to income ratio here in Australia as well. And so GDP. Yeah, yeah. well, so, you know, rates are going to hit a bit harder. I, I... I agree, and I think further to that. But can't it be possible at all that 
don't know how this happens, but and so the other side of the equation, so the debt to GDP or debt to income, could could you not have the other side of that equation rise? And so the ratio starts to normalise. So income. Yeah, or GDP go higher. And yeah. so your debt and that, that's that's sort of how you inflate your, your way out of debt, really. Yeah. I mean that that's possible. It's possible. Is it likely? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. But the other thing Richard was like talking it. about, and I don't and we t- you and I've talked about this um, on on the pod weeks ago was the US consumer and US corporates are cashed up and they are in the best position they have ever been. Yep. For I don't even either it's from post World War Two or ever, and either of those might be right. And so if you if you, if we're going to have or when we have that recession that everybody's talking about, the US is probably pretty well placed to to weather that recession and it's probably going to be the best they've ever been to fight a recession. Yeah, and coming out of it, um, you know, you would think they'll come out pretty strong uh, given all of that. Um, something that he mentioned that I haven't thought about for a while but, you know, had kind of cast my gaze towards a few times is as the US increases rates, that makes the US dollar way more attractive and if the RBA, let's say the Fed is increasing at 50 basis points and the RBA is 25, that, that spread becomes larger and larger. The US dollar becomes more and more attractive. The Aussie dollar, relatively less so. Um, does the Aussie dollar lag to the point where the RBA has to start doing something else, whether they go out and start buying Aussie dollars or do they start raising rates a little bit faster or, or, or more mm. to make the Aussie to support the Aussie dollar, essentially? Um, because if they don't, there's a chance we start importing inflation or importing inflation at a faster rate. Uh, so if you're buying US dollars and you're selling an Aussie, you know, you've got, I don't know, petrol or whatever it is, um, you know, you have to push that price up. So it, it can be inflationary having that Aussie dollar lag the US. So, Yeah, but how yeah. much could it lag, though, really? Like, I don't know. I mean... I mean, not, we're not going to do a Zimbabwe where <laughs> you've got interest rate to 80%, right, to, to try and yeah, entice I'm, investors. So the Aussie is now at, wow, it's at 68, 69 so, I mean, can we get down to 60? Is that out of the question? 60 is historically, man, that's really low. Um, and yeah, if the US are going to raise rates for a lot longer and they're going to peak out higher than Australia, I, I don't know, maybe the LSE can stay low for longer. Well, the question is whether the, the US, the Fed, Federal Reserve, actually has to push rates up that high. Uh, I th- that's the unknown. Yeah. Uh, uh, yep. Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> period. I, th- I think that's the unknown. Yeah. Because if 50 basis points is doing this to markets, and we had the, so we had the inflation number coming in the US, right? Yes. So what was headline? Like 8.1? Uh, 3, 8.3. It was around that but, number. But basically it was higher than expected, uh, but it was lower than the previous print. Yes. Yes, and so right. we're seeing, you know, as examples, we're seeing the price of uh, tim- timber or lumber yep. uh, fall dramatically. Uh, we're starting to see other areas that have been historically priced really high come down. The used, problem used is cars, new car prices are starting to come down. The problem, though, is now you've got energy costs going up. Yes, which is countering the, what we've been trying to fight the last two, last twelve or eighteen months. But you and I talked about this last week. We said it'd be really interesting to wait and see the year-on-year print number come down as we get to the high numbers because we can't keep growing growing as much as we have been on an even higher year-on-year rate. Yeah. And yeah. so maybe, yeah, maybe, we, maybe the Fed doesn't have to go that far. I don't think the Reserve Bank is going to be pushed the cash rate to 3%. No. Oh, God, I and if not. they do, may, we'll sure, we'll, we'll hit that recession and... Here we go. We can start cutting cutting again. Yeah. No, that's right. So it was 8.3. Expectation was 8.5. There was uh, – I did hear that the oh, – Expectation was 8.5. Sorry, previous was 8.5. Yeah. Expectation, not, not expectation. was – 8.1, I think. Yeah, and we, yeah, it was 8.3. Yeah, we were right in the middle. Um, there was a bit of a statistical anomaly in that they changed the way that they calculated uh, – I think it was rents, and that added about a percent that they right. think. So – you know, whatever, it'll all work itself out. But um, hopefully we're over that, that peak and we're starting to come down. Let's talk about the stock market. And I've got a ton of charts I want to share now. Let's get this first one up. 
this is showing the Russell 2000 from January 2020, uh, basically when we, when we peaked, uh, and to today. You can see we are, the Russell 2000 is basically back to where it started pre-pandemic. It's, so you can see the on the far left-hand side of that chart, you've got the, the COVID uh, bottom, mm -hmm. and you've got a massive rally, and nothing really happened through 2021. Yeah, and then you've got, the, you've got that, that slow drop from the back end of 2021, as most markets have been doing, yep. and we've given up all those returns. The next chart I want to bring up now is the... Um, there's one, two, three, four. There's six charts here, which um, I got from Michael Batnick, and it's showing the, the the price percent off their highs. Check out this list: Shopify down 81 percent, Zillow down 82 percent, Zoom down 85 percent, Coinbase down 85 percent, Robinhood down 88 percent, Peloton down almost 93 <laughs> percent. Far out from their their highs. Yeah. That's mental. I mean, that's crazy. The next chart is the US ETF, the QQQs, which is the NASDAQ. Uh, you can see it, in fact, it may have already hit uh, the low. And, and if I think it's hit, hit, that, uh, hit that new low, the largest drawdown going back to the GFC. So we saw it in, um, in 2020. But prior to that, this is going to be what we saw the last time we saw back into the GFC. Next chart is from, is from Bespoke. This is the NASDAQ 30-day rate of change from 1971 to, I think, yesterday. You can count on, the, on, on two hands the number of 20% plus declines. And that, that line, the bot, that grey horizontal line is, is the 20% mark. And you can see there's a handful. During the 2000s, we saw that massive cluster during the tech wreck where, where we saw a whole bunch of uh, periods of 20% of declines. But we haven't seen this since the GFC, or COVID and GFC, and prior to that was during the tech wreck. And, but you can only count a number of hands. How many hands do you, how many fingers do you have on a hand? Ten. How many people? One, two, three, four, <laughs> five, six, seven, there, eight. <laughs> Except that cluster. <laughs> the cluster is one. The cluster is one. <laughs> you can count on your hands and toes. Um, but no, it's, I mean, it's, you're a cheery man today, aren't you? And Go so the, ne the next one I want to bring up now, again from worse. Bespoke, I'm just sort of collating all these charts and tables. It shows the NASDAQ 20 plus decline in 30 trading days from 1971 to 2022, but it then shows the, the, the subsequent performance after we hit the 30 day percentage decline. Have a look at the one month, three months, six months, one year. One year you're sitting, you're positive almost 73% of the time. The, uh, the exception that, to all of this is the tech wreck. And it's a, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's starting it's a very, to smell a little tech wrecky. It's a, it's very close to the tech wreck. Yeah. Um, let me, let yeah. me, let me, keep, let me keep going. Cause I got, I got a few here and I'm just then get your thoughts. Uh, next one, NASDAQ 25 plus percent drawdown from highs. Uh, so we've gone from 20 to 25. Um, you can, you can see the average return again, 2000 was, was the exception there. Uh, and, uh, 1973, but look at have a look at 82. Have a look at 1998. You've got you know, almost 91, 82% uh, rises after we've seen Nasdaq drawdowns of uh, at at these at these levels. Now the next one's the most interesting one for me. This is the same chart before, um, and what Bespoke have done here is: do these big declines in the Nasdaq anticipate and um, uh, precede recessions? Now you can see in this chart, there's only two. Yeah, so of, of the 11 prior periods where the NASDAQ experienced a 20 plus percent decline within six weeks, all but two were associated with recessions. Now that, that, that's, a, that's an 80% plus probability yep. of a recession to follow. Yeah, wow. The next chart I just want to bring up here is... You've got more. ...is the S&P 500. <laughs> you know, right. I, I just LOL on this. Remember when index investors weren't going to get crushed? 
Yep. I just went through the likes of Shopify, Peloton, Zoom, um, uh, etc., et and, and we're down. And this is our tech wreck, I reckon. Like we're, these things. If this is not a tech wreck, like what? I, I don't know what, what I, it's going to be. I don't want to see one. And, um. and all of those analogies that were being drawn to the, two th- the early two thousands, late nineties. Like I reckon that's what we're going through. But we're just. No. But I feel like the formation of IT, the formation of how companies now operate is slightly different to that of the 2000s. And so maybe you're not going to see that at an index level. You and I have talked about the likes of the Googles, the Apples and the Microsoft being, uh, you know, 10 or 12 companies within the one company. Uh, I'm not sure we had it to that degree in the late 90s, early 2000s. But this is our tech rec. And the S&P 500, and you can't see it here, but is I'll say only, only down 17% from its high on at the back end of 2021. Yep. So LOL to everybody who was predicting passive, passive index investors were going to get crushed. Um, interestingly, and I'll bring this final chart up here, is uh, from S&P FactSet. Uh, ish, what, what this is showing in the blue line is the S&P 500. Now, just give, me, give me a second to explain this. The NTM is next 12 months. So next 12 months PE, next 12 months EPS. Have a look at the EPS number. EPS keeps rising. Look at the PE. It's falling. And so what we're seeing here is more sentiment-driven, and you pointed this out before, about 75% of companies that are beating on revenue and, and, and on earnings. Yep. And th- this is another version of that chart, basically. And so most of this is, is sentiment. In fact... I was just having a look at the numbers. The S&P 500 Ford PE has dipped below 18 for the first time since Q2 in 2020. So the peak of uh, the COVID crisis, this is the first time we're we're dipping below an 18 times earnings. So a lot of this is what what investors are willing to pay for stocks and sentiment over and above what is actually happening. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of... You know, not since 2020. I think probably one of the things that kind of strikes me out of all of that is when we look at 20% falls and 25% falls and what's kind of happened last time and and they are fascinating. I think this time, and I don't, I don't recall what was happening with interest rates back in 2000, I think they were going up before. I think they were going right up until... Um, September 11, 2001. I think it was ri- rates were rising all through that period. And I, you know, I, 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 more and more, it, it's starting to look and smell a bit like this is going to last a bit longer if rates continue. Ra- rates, were being, rates were being cut. So, oh, were they? Yeah. So Into r- 2000 or post? Uh, so late 90s. So in 1998, rates were about 5.5%. They bottomed during... 1999. Okay. And during 99, they, were, they went from 45 to about 6.5%. Okay, so 2%. So, yeah. So, we, we, we well, 2%, but it's a 50%, 50% increase yeah. on, on rates. Uh, that was August 2000. Rates started to get cut and we hit the, and, re- and, we, and there was a recession yeah. subsequently. Okay. And then rates bottomed out um, at 1% back in 04. And then we had the massive boom in debt uh, in the US. Yep. And that's when we had that. That was a build up for the GFC. Yeah. yeah. But, yep. but just going back to, just if I can finish off on, on that point. Yeah. Um, from a valuation perspective, it, if this is sentiment and not earnings, if we don't have a recession, let's just say this is one of those low probable outcomes that we don't have a recession. Stocks are friggin' cheap. Yeah. Right? Yep. But if we have that recession, you know what isn't baked in yet is earnings coming off. And so if we have that recession and the recession impacts earnings, I reckon there's a ton ton more to run here. And maybe Chris Joyce may be right. He's he's 25 to 35% decline. Yeah, sure. Possibly. Um, Anything's possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I wouldn't discount the fact that we might – uh, we, let's say we don't even have a recession. Nothing's guaranteed. 
No. It may not happen until, I don't know, we might have this soft landing the Fed keeps talking about. It has happened before. Um, yeah, it, look, it has. I would take the... The other side. I'd take the other side of that. But the, we've talked about this before. Recessions typically happen at the peak of the rate rise cycle. Which rate makes complete cycle. Cycle sense, right? Yeah, it's, I, okay. I just... I just because once you hit recession, they're not going to keep raising rates. They're going to start dropping them. And yeah. at peak interest rate is when you so, know, consumer spending has, has stopped, I guess, to the point where we're now in recession. And that they're not trying to engineer a recession. They're trying to engineer a slowdown in spending. But unfortunately, that, that line is pretty fine. You know, it's, it's really difficult. As we said last week, you know, they're handicapped to a point where they're using data that's old. So they're using data that, that's a month, three months, six months old. Not six months, but three months old. And they're trying to make decisions for what things will look like no in the future. Because no one can forecast anything. It's incredibly difficult. But it's no different to investors who say, oh, I just want to wait this out and just wait for the recession. Like, you're, you're, the stock market will already have told you the recession's over. Stock market's so already moved. Until uh, y- you will only know that we've had a recession is after the print. Yes. And the stock market's run. And, and the recession is... Two negative quarters, right? So that's six months. Six months And then ago. you get a month later. So it's seven or eight months before you find out we were in recession and the market's already moved. Market's roared ahead, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so I think investors need to think about what game it is they're playing. Yeah, and look, you know, Buffett it said it beautifully, oh. uh, you know, at, at the meeting. They're not market timers. They may have gotten lucky a few times, but they just know when things look attractive and they keep investing and they're in there for the next you know, 50, 80, 100 years is what their time frame is. And so they just... They well, you saw the... How much are they? It's 40 billion. They invested in Q1 of, yeah, yeah, of 2022. I think that was the largest on-market yeah, quarterly investment. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because um, Apple had the massive... Apple had a massive sell-off during that period as well. And it's when... Um, Berkshire were, were, were buying and, p- and people are jokingly say if you sold Apple you sold to Warren Buffett during Q1 yeah <laughs> and look I mean the man knows what he's doing so look, um, look he might he might be being laughed at now but I think in over the next couple of years I mean you're never going to pick the bottom right you, you, you might pick the bottom just by sheer luck, by luck. but yep. if you can if you can be buying at under 18 times forward earnings I'm not saying this Looks is the bottom right. but yeah you know, maybe if you're, if you're trip feeding some money into the market, it's not a bad time. And, and there are some pretty good companies out there making good money that are trading below 18. So, um, yeah, there's, there's some really interesting opportunities starting to appear. All right. Should, should, we, we, should we move on? Let's quickly touch on this. I'll get this chart up now. Online retail sales. I was writing um, a piece a couple of weeks ago. I don't know where I saw it. And I started crunching some of the numbers. I charted the U.S. Online retail sales as a percentage of total retail sales. That's the red line. And then you can see the, 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 that green aqua line. The US, I should have drawn this, but basically if you chop that top off from 2020 to 2022, the US online retail sales is back to basically where it's, it's, it's higher. Uh, and I think this chart is not really doing it justice because of the UK numbers in there, it's, just, it's dwarfing, uh, the US is being dwarfed. But have a look at the online retail sales as a percentage of retail sales in the UK. It's come off, right? Yeah. Um, but let me bring this second chart up now. And this one's from Deutsche Bank. And I think Deutsche Bank saw my chart, so they've, they've replicated one and, and distributed it. Pretty the, sure that's what happened. <laughs> um, but they've got... Uh, United States, elect, uh, well, retail, electronic shopping, and mail orders as a percentage of total sales. But then they've got Amazon's stock price. And what, what they're looking at here is saying um, Amazon's come off back to pre-pandemic levels. We can, it's pretty clear we can, we can see that. But what we're not seeing is uh, on e-commerce sales falling as much as, they ha- as Amazon fell. Mm-hmm. So is Amazon a proxy for online retail sales? Maybe it used to be, but maybe online retail sales are going to hold up a little bit better than that. Yep. And going forward, we're going to continue to see some growth uh, in in the percentage of online sales relative to retail sales. What do you What do you think about that? Do yeah. you think we're going to give it all up or will no. that trend continue? No, I think that trend will continue. I mean, it's pretty well established. Um, I think 
for me, the most interesting, and I've heard this number before, is that online sales only account for 15% of total retail sales in the US. I mean, that to me is a really low number um, and probably speaks to the opportunity that Amazon and Shopify and all these mm. companies probably are, are playing into. Um, and with Amazon specifically, you know, they came out and said they've over overspent on labor and capacity for, you know, for future um, distribution and all the rest of it. So, um, yeah, look, I, I think the trend continues. I don't think the online sales uh, drops back to say a ten percent of, of total sales in the US. I, you know, it's probably a slow, steady uh, accelerate or slow, steady growth. Uh, and when you think about who's more likely to buy online and who's less likely, uh, older people less likely. Well, they're older. At some point, they're going to start dropping off the perch and younger people, more younger people, it's a more established way of shopping and, and so on and so forth. So I think it just grows over time. Um, but interestingly, they Deutsche Bank noted that Amazon's down now 35, almost 36%. And this is a few days old, so it's probably a bit more, maybe pushing out to 40% since um, March the 29th this year, which is six weeks What's ago. What's this index they're, they're looking at? Uh, the FANG, what's that FANG Plus index? Declining 38% since its new record high in November 2021. NY Fangs. What are the NY Fangs? Oh, uh, the, I don't know. I don't know all the companies, but they've Netflix is one in, in there. I don't know what Y is. Uh, but yeah, so the NY Fangs uh, index is down 38% since the record high in November, but it's still up. Oh, I think they're just referring to the um, like New York Stock Exchange. Yeah. Oh, okay. Is there another Fang index? I don't know. Anyway, um, uh, so the index is still at 30% from pre-pandemic, which annualised 15%. That's pretty good. You take that, right, over two years? Um, Given where we are now and what the outlook's looking like. Uh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think retail sales continues to increase as a percent. And I think these companies, you know, continue to grow Amazon Amazon will be larger in five years' time in terms of market cap than what it is right now. I'll bet your house on it. In five years in market cap? Yep. Do you think I, that's wrong? Mm, I, don't, I wouldn't disagree. No. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it's getting... And yeah, this is ignoring AWS and all the rest of it. Anyway, um, then no, I, th- I think it continues. Just quickly, uh, one thing that I... Saw just adding on to that was just this headline um, from Bloomberg, and I'll just get this headline up now. Disney tops streaming subscriber estimates, but tempers outlook. Gains for Disney Plus follow the surprise decline for Netflix. Resorts prosper as travel tourism continue to recover. I had a look at the, the Disney share price. And, you know, it's all good and well to have these narratives around stocks and these fantasy around, you know, I like wearing Nike shoes, so I'm going to go buy Nike stock, or I go to Disney theme parks, so I'm going to go buy Disney stock. And we saw that just capitulate during, and we've seen it over the last, we've been talking about all all this morning, that just whatever you think about the company, you could be dead wrong about the prospects in the future because the market could just completely humble you and you can be totally crucified. And sure. one of the examples is, and this is why I think stock picking is just super, super hard. For all of the reasons we've talked about, Disney appears to be, I mean, notwithstanding the fact that their resorts were shut down during 2020 and their streaming business went gangbusters, their stock price has basically done nothing since 2015. Yeah. Does that surprise I, you? Yeah, absolutely. Really shocked by this. Um, yeah. We, Walt when you, Disney. When you bought this up, I would, I had to go and look at it myself because I <laughs> didn't believe it. But yeah, it's it's flat for five years. Um, well, Meanwhile, down. the S and P five hundred's up. You know, hundreds know. of percent. I don't know exactly what's up, but we'll have a quick look. But no, it's um, it does surprise me because it's so diversified. Uh, the S and P five hundred's up sixty five percent during that period. Okay, not hundreds of percent. <laughs> no, but still pretty well. I mean, it's Is that com- annualized comfortably <laughs> off its high. You know, like it was. Probably nudging 100% at one point. Well, uh, during that time, Walt Disney's down 5 or down 4%. Yeah, yeah. No, look, and the reason it surprised me is, I mean, Disney, I'm sure you've been to a Disney theme park. If you haven't, you go there and it's just 
this incredible experience. The customer Lunacy. service focus is absurd. It's insane. Uh, their movie business is massive. I mean, it's a lot of capital, but man, it makes a lot of money. Uh, so now, why, now you've why got streaming and ESPN and just so many, so many avenues for growth for this company. I don't know. Um, and I had a look at their PE ratio, which was actually quite high. And I think that's historical, not forward looking. But um, yeah, no, I was, I was pretty surprised. And it's a company that I've always kind of admired as a pretty stable, I would imagine it's a stable, solid investment within your portfolio. Uh, so just have a quick, quick look at EPS Q2, they missed by 10%. Q1, they beat by 71%. Man, Q4, they, they, they missed by 23%. Q3, 2021, they beat by 45%. So these massive beats and massive misses. Yeah. Like, um, just having a look at their – oh, man, these numbers just look totally wonky. 6,500% increase year on year on net income. I think that's just – it doesn't seem cl- cl- right. Or closure to opening up, maybe. Maybe. Uh, yeah, but these numbers just look totally wonky. Yeah, look at – I mean, everything's getting thrown out, right? As, uh, any slight disappointment is getting absolutely punished. So they – where was oh, their high? Yeah. Their high was, I don't know, 100 and, almost 200 bucks a share. What are they sitting now? Well, I can tell me here. 187 Almost 200 bucks of half. Set down almost half. Yeah, that's, that's pretty surprising. Well, it's interesting, like um, last year and the year before, if you missed earnings, you know, all you, all you did was a share split and you're up 3 or 4%. Yeah. And now Doesn't matter you, what you, you do, miss right? earnings and you're, you're getting belted. You get punched in the face. <laughs> Absolutely. while you're on the ground. Absolutely. Do you want to talk about anything, anything else on there or do you want to should jump into Director's uh, Let's cuts? jump into Director's Cuts. We've been going for a little while. All right, uh, all right so Director's Cuts. So you may have heard a little bit about the crypto market in the past week or two. It's getting absolutely demolished. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a million different coins out there and, and I'm certainly not going to go through all of them. Uh, but I read this article by James Garrish from Market Matters. This was in Livewire. Um, talking about uh, some of the messages that crypto is ascending equity markets. So he was saying the volatility in crypto is a forerunner to volatility in uh, equity markets, which we, I think we talked about earlier this year. But there were a couple of things that sort of jumped out and caught my attention. Now, I don't know a lot about crypto. Like but, by but, no but, means, but, but apparently you're buying Bitcoin under twenty thousand. But I'm, ha- I'm happy to make predictions. Sure, why not? No one's going to hold me to it. No one will. Rem- no one will remember. Um, so they're talking about the Terra USD. So this is a stable coin. And for those who aren't aware, um, so stable coins are digital assets which are designed to retain their value. Uh, and I smile because <laughs> they're not. Uh, but for example, the, the Terra it's USD. The intention anyway. It's the intention. Yeah, the Terra USDs. Um, designed to peg to the US dollar, so dollar for dollar. So in theory, the price shouldn't deviate from a dollar or shouldn't deviate all that much. Um, so it, basically it guarantees that if you buy a coin, you can redeem it for one US dollar. That's essentially the concept. Um, so <laughs> what's happened is that basically people bought this coin, consumer confidence investors are all going in one direction and that is not in favor of the coin everyone's starting to try and get out and the terra coin uh with a one dollar peg is now trading or was trading at about 45 cents so not so stable uh not sure about the peg uh but essentially for that to happen i guess if you think under the hood if someone wants to sell and and it's trading at 97 cents then someone's got to be willing to buy at a dollar or the creators have to be able to stump up money to be able to support that at a dollar, right? Uh, so maybe they're running out of money. I don't know, but it's certainly not sitting there at a dollar. And that is by no means the worst. Um, you know, Avalanche, which is down 34%, Solana's down 30%. Um, Luna, which I don't know anything about. Uh, someone was telling me earlier, it was at 100 hundred odd dollars it's now trading at four cents it's down basically a hundred percent 99.99 percent so it's, it's been retitled lunacy right <laughs> so yeah. some of these are getting <laughs> absolutely demolished i mean we saw before uh bitcoins down 
you know, 30 odd percent this year. I still think there's more to Bitcoin come. is the index of tech stocks. Meanwhile, while all these other shit coins are down 80, 90 percent, Bitcoin, you tell me what, Bitcoin's down 30. So you're telling me it's done well? Yeah, relatively speaking. <laughs> it's a fact. Well, isn't it a hedge against inflation? No, isn't we, it gold? We a debunked gold? this weeks a, ago. It's a gold alternative. We, de- Come we on, debunked man. this in January of 2022. We did, um, and that wasn't difficult <laughs> to do. Yeah. So the Nasdaq's down 27, uh, and Bitcoin's down 39. Yeah. Up until this week, those numbers have been pretty close. So I guess I, my question to you is: Are we seeing that capitulation? Are we seeing the investors that have jumped in over the last two years that all they've known is upside? 100%, are they finally man. giving up? A hundred percent. Does it go further? Like at what point? I, I, so you I, ask I don't me, know. would I buy? Would you buy? You've got Bitcoin. Would you buy more now? At at any point, what would look? What what's attractive? Um, if I was going to be buying, I'd buy some. I've got no money. <laughs> I went too hard too early. <laughs> yeah, man, absolutely. Um, but but, but if, if people have been talking about wanting to get in crypto and, and now they're seeing this, go put your money where your mouth is. Well, see, if you, see if you can stomach what is going on right yeah. now. It's like what we talked about with Amazon all those years ago. And I was, I was saying to someone earlier, like I recall, I don't know the year, but I think it was 2017 or 18, around Thanksgiving or Christmas, everyone was talking up crypto. It went on this big run and then it just plummeted. And, and we're in that sort of phase now. I still think it's got further to go, but I think, you know, at some point... Yeah, but so do it'll, tech, so it'll do tech stocks. So, uh, does, so does Shopify. So does Netflix. They've, they've 100% there's more to go. Yeah, yeah, there's a bit more to go. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so interesting... Um, so, you look, know, I think we've, I think we've debunked this this hedge concept. What <laughs> does appear, though, is that Bitcoin does appear to be uh, holding up relatively well, and I just emphasise the word <laughs> relatively well. Um, I don't know, like if you listen to if you listen to the Berkshire Hathaway shareholders meeting, oh, and man. Warren Buffett talks about if you if you gave, if you owned all of the land farmland in America. And you came to me and you said you, you were willing to sell me 1% of that land. I will pay you whatever the cost is, $25, $50 billion. I will pay, pay you that mon- amount of money. He said, if you owned all the rental properties and all the apartments and condos in America and you were selling me 1%, I will pay you $25, $50 whatever. Billion, whatever the number is. If everyone in this room owned all of Bitcoin and you came to sell me all of the Bitcoin, I would not pay you $25. <laughs> And he says, what am I going to do with it? I, I, I cannot do anything with it. Uh-huh. And it's interesting now that, you know, the euphoria has been uh, the, the, what's the word? Oh, it's, it's gone. gone. <laughs> it's gone. It's been, yeah, the, the, that bubble's burst. And I think people can start thinking a bit more clear-headed. But I yeah. also think that, that investors typically will... Uh, run towards euphoria and run away from pessimism. Absolutely, man. And so we're, we're, we're this pessimistic now and people are like, oh, I'm glad I didn't do it or see, I told you so, I told you so. Mm-hmm. But I think there's somewhere in the middle, middle ground between those. And I don't, know, I don't know what that is. If you listen to Charlie Munger, he says we already have digital currency. It's the dollar. It's your electronic banking. And so I don't know why we have to have these... Um, uh, these the stable coins, when clearly mm. they're not they're not no. stable, um, because there's no asset. They don't have the assets to back it. That's right. What do you get? No, no one wants UST. No, exactly right. Uh, but you know, it's interesting. I mean, Charlie and Warren have been doubters, we'll call them, uh, of Bitcoin and been absolutely crucified for it. Uh, you know, but they're also being crucified for not getting on the meme stock mania. Absolutely, and, they're and this all happened in, t- in the in the late nineties. We I think you and I talked about this. I remember talking to someone about it on, on Masters in Investing and we were talking about how we saw back in 1999 there were headlines in Time magazine saying Warren Buffett's washed up. Yep. He's lost his touch. Doesn't understand tech. He's lost it. He's out of it. Yeah, right. absolutely. And then after that, you saw a massive run in yep. value stocks yep. and Berkshire Hathaway stock just went from did. in the doldrums to just front running all this. And what's their largest... On market investment? Apple. They're absolutely. It might be their largest single investment. I think it is. Yeah, Apple. Yep. 
Um, speaking of Apple, the thing that I saw, uh, which I'll just bring up now, again, Statista had the farewell iPod, the rise and fall of an icon. <laughs> so iPod sales in units as a percentage of Apple's total revenue. I don't know who's buying iPods anymore. No, um, no. But uh, the reason why I'm showing this chart is what's amazing to me is Apple's ability to constantly innovate and and I was watching a, a video of um, Steve Steve Jobs. I think they had all their, their their developers in a room, and they're asking what's happening with this project. And, and he said, We've, "I've shot. I've given that one a bullet in the head." And it and and it and this is from I don't know maybe the late late nineties. And you've, you've got these developers saying, "What's happening with this piece of software, or this or that?" He said, "I've been working on it." He said, "I oh, didn't you know that one's been shut down?" <laughs> and you sort of laugh, and people are <laughs> clapping and laughing and whatnot. But to, what? I took out of that and seeing this is just Apple's ability to constantly innovate and not be afraid of exploring new products or new services or, yep. or whatever that may whatever yep. that may be. You know, I remember having an MP3 player. They used to be so expensive MP3 players. You know, having a, having a discman to MP3 players and just constantly moving with whatever the technology is. In fact, developing and creating the technology. And so, you know, that, I think that's one reason why companies like Apple, like Google, have demonstrated beyond what we saw during the tech wreck of early, the late 90s and early 2000s that they, they have been sustainable for however many years. Um, and I reckon they'll continue to do so. Are they going to continue to grow at the rates we've seen? History says no. History says once you become a top 10 SP 500 company, you start lagging relative to the index. Yeah. Yeah, and it looked like they kept reinventing themselves and, and now, you know, it was the iPod, then it was the iPhone and iPads and, and now it's the services side. We, we looked at it last week, yeah, services right, yeah. and the, the other gadget stuff. So, you know, that, they're growing at a great revenue. What's interesting here is they're still selling 14.4 million units. Uh, so back in 2004, they sold, I don't know, I'm going to say 2 million units. And that was about 15% of their total revenue. That's interesting, revenue. actually. I didn't even look at that number. 14.4 million units Which is 1% sold. of the revenue. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, okay. Great. A just phenomenal business that, that continues to innovate and, and uh, manage to make money. What do you got for tips and recommendations? Mate, I'm going back into the archives. Um, something my kids have been watching uh, is a classic sitcom. Uh, not classic, classic, but... Seinfeld? A little while ago. No, not that classic. So, um, Modern Family. Oh, Remember yeah. Modern Family? Hilarious. Man, it's so funny. So, they started at episode one, season one, and they've just been working their oh, way through. Oh, really? Man, it's so, it's, Were they it's, old enough to watch it when it first no, started? No, no. And I think they're probably now old enough. Like, they get the concepts. Right. Um, but some Emma of it wouldn't be. The boys would be. Not Emma. No, 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 no. She'll sit there, but I think a lot of it goes over her head. Uh, but the boys definitely Is there get swearing it. Swearing? Uh, no, there's not. And no, so it's it's good. probably appropriate, and it's appropriate for the boys, but but okay for her to watch. You know. Um, but anyway, so they've been they've been absolutely loving it. But I just love that you watch a show. You might watch Friends or Seinfeld or Kramer or whatever um, whatever it is, uh, and you look at that then and go, would that get on air today? Oh, like some of the jokes, you know, so I can't remember the dude's name. Uh, the guy that, you know, the, the father the, of... Phil. Of, Phil Dunphy. No, no, no. Phil, I love Phil. He's my favourite character. His father-in-law, Jay Pritchard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, some of his comments, you know, oh, about his yeah. son being gay <laughs> and about the Colombians and about this and that, it's just, it wouldn't fly today, but man, it's so, it's so funny. It's so well done. Uh, so anyway, that's... That's my recommendation. Talk, Go back and watch an old show. You know, it's so good. Oh, man, There's I some great ones out there. Talking about um, uh, inappropriate comedy, did, did you ever watch uh, Eddie Murphy Raw or Delirious? Oh, God, <laughs> yeah. Can you, Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Not a chance. Can you Not imagine any of that getting airtime air right now? No way. No. No way. Would Netflix touch it? Possibly. Netflix is there on the fringe with, with, uh, with stuff like that, with yeah. controversy. Yep. Um, but, man, gold. <laughs> some of that, yeah, some of that stuff's awesome. Um, what do you got? As we left the briefing yesterday, we were at Bar Larinia on Collins, Little Collins, Little Collins Street, yep. uh, top end of the city. Man, I haven't been, and if anyone hasn't been to Bar Larinia recently, 
like I haven't been there for years um, and as um, as you know I'm vegan and just and we had lunch somewhere else before that and oh, we were, yes. weren't as impressed but at Ballerina man that was bloody I don't know what you thought it was good but the the food there was bloody good and as I was leaving downstairs um, I don't know who it was some guy who looked very official uh, an older gentleman downstairs uh, I just said, mate, food, bloody fantastic. And he, I said, that's what we do. He was wrapped um, <laughs> to get the feedback. So any any vegetarians or pescatarians or vegans, go check out Ballerina. Like the food was or bloody good. Free. Yeah. It was good. Yeah, I was, I was impressed. You had some of the potatoes? I did. Potatoes, not, it's not gluten. No, man. You're good. It's potato. It's like people asking me you. stupid, can you eat this as a can vegan question? Can you eat steak? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's wrap up. We've uh, we've hit on the on the sixty minutes. I think um, info at bahariandwealth.com.au. Uh, and we'll catch you next week. Cheers, guys. My name's Robert Baharian, and I'm the founder and CEO of Baharian Wealth Management, AFSL five two six seven nine eight. The information contained in this podcast by me, my colleague Matt Rigby, or any of our guests may include general advice and does not consider your personal circumstances. You should seek personal advice from a registered financial advisor who can consider whether the general advice is right for you.